0: This week on Hangar Talk, basic med pilots, vamos a Mexico.
1: And we get the NOL report with some good news for G8. Uavionics comes into the cockpit. We find out more about the B-17 crash in Connecticut. All right, David, are you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar
0: Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 13244. Right, with your hosts... Host.
1: Ian Twombly and David Tulis. This is Hangar Talk.
0: Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, an interesting show this week. First of all, you're on the road, and we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. But uh, also, you caught up with a guest, a really neat guy, Shinji Maeda who uh, is, as as you would say, from down south, fixing to fly around the world.
1: That's right. That's exactly what I would say, Ian. Uh, Shinji Maeda is a really interesting guy. We originally caught up with him at, uh, at our Bremerton Washington flying a couple years ago because Shinji – is a one-eyed pilot, Ian, and he is also a CFI, and he has um, a foundation that helps give back to general aviation, and he is going to fly a 1963 V-tail Bonanza around the world next year.
0: All right, very cool. So we'll hear about his prep a little later on. But first, good news, if you're a basic med pilot, I know one of the concerns initially was, does this limit you only to domestic flying? And it turns out of course, the Bahamas allowed it almost immediately, and now Mexico's gotten in on it. So if you're basic med pilot, you're heading south, man.
1: That's right, Ian, and that's good news for a lot of people, not only because we can fly into Mexico now, but, Ian, we're hoping that this kind of opens the door, at least cracks the door a little, for other countries that might be thinking about this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Canada, if you're listening, you got to get on the bandwagon here, the North American uh, basic med bandwagon. But, yeah, starting December 10th, Thanks to a letter signed by the Mexican uh, DGCA, you can head down to Mexico with basic med only.
1: And, you know, today in the U.S., right now, over 51,000 pilots are already flying under that basic med program, Mm -hmm. Ian, and really... Uh, it's kind of a cool, uh, cool program. It's good for a lot of people. And and this really opens the skies to Mexico. It's a favorite destination for a lot of GA pilots in the States, especially in, you know, Texas and California and really even the southeast. It's not all that far away.
0: Yeah. In fact, you said big destination. I this there's this fact in the story on AOPA.org, which I found amazing, which is that. More than thirty percent of all international GA flights are between Mexico and the U.S. You know, in terms of uh, international flights out of the U.S. So that, that's pretty impressive.
1: Well, that's close by and it's convenient. So we just now have to work on our other nearby neighbors to the north, that's you know, right. and maybe in uh, in the Caribbean a little bit more too. So it is good news and. And i will bring more people back into the fold. And it is nice to know that you can fly on basic med. With you know, you still have to adhere to those regulations. You know, airplanes can't weigh more than six thousand pounds. Pilots can fly up to two hundred fifty knots and up to eighteen thousand feet MSL. And you know, it's just you have to go to a, a state-licensed physician about every forty-eight months and fill out that online medical education course that AOPA offers every two years.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is good news. And hey, speaking of good news. The null report. This is the annual look into the kind of the deep dive into GA accidents, and uh, it, it was, I would say, overall a really positive report for this year.
1: Well, I think one thing that kind of signifies that it was a positive report, Ian, is that flight time was up. And now, don't forget, this is uh, the null report. Always comes out a couple of years after the year that they're surveyed. You know, for aviation, the fatal accident rate in 2016 it went down from twenty fifteen, about eleven point seven percent. And at the same time, folks flew more. There are more flight hours. So if you add those two together, that's really a pretty good trend.
0: Yeah, it really is. Now we will say total accidents were up a little bit, but of course so were like you just said, were flight hours. So, you know, the rate of flying went up, which means the accident rate wasn't hugely changed. But like you mentioned, the big news there I think is fatals were were down, and that's that's great news.
1: Ian, I wonder about something. I wonder what your take on this is. You know, a lot of the apps came onto the market in 2015, 2016. We're real familiar with them now. I'm wondering if more situational awareness of, you know, with these kind of apps and with the kind of technology we have now, I wonder if that kind of situational awareness is starting to impact the accident rate a little bit and, you know, kind of lessen it.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, if you look at a report, an all report from, let's say, like a decade ago, 12 years ago, we used to talk about, you remember that, we used to talk about CFIT, Controlled Flight and Terrain. That was a big deal. Quite often. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we trained on it, we studied it, but it's like nobody talks about it anymore, and that's partly because of ubiquitous moving maps. It's, you know, it's it's you got to really kind of not be paying attention for that to happen, and so, yeah, absolutely, I think technology has helped certainly that sector a lot. The one that surprised me a little bit is, is fuel. You know, those those accidents continue to happen, and you would think with fuel totalizers and everything else that that wouldn't be the case, but no, we, we're still running out of gas.
1: Well, a lot of airplanes don't have fuel totalizers, and it's still a pretty manual setup. That's true. I recently uh, took, uh, took the boss's Super Cub on amphibious floats down to Florida, and really, those aircraft, those Super Cubs just have those sight gauges, and you still see a lot of those same kind of regular sight gauges or... You know, the older style fuel gauges in Cessnas and Pipers and a lot of the training aircraft, they just haven't been updated.
0: Yeah, no, that's very true. I will say the other thing that we that we just can't stop doing is prying in airplanes on takeoffs and landings. I think if we got down to basics a little more, worked with crosswinds, stuff like that, the rate could just plummet because really the vast majority of stuff that we're looking at is takeoff and landing accidents.
1: Well, I'm going to mention one thing about Crossman's and You know, it's a little scary to do them, but, you know, on the one hand, if you don't do them, you're not going to get proficient at it. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that double-edged sword. You know, should we do them? And then, what? you know, yes, we should do them, but we're a little scared, and I say we, me, me included, a little scared when it's blowing like crazy. But really, that's kind of a better time to do it, to get more proficient at
0: it. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, a great point. And hey, I want to move on with, again, some new tech, some stuff that might help us. So we know UAVionics from the Tail Beacon and the Sky Beacon, but now they're, they're branching out a little bit, and uh, they've purchased Aerovonics, which makes the AV-20 and the AV-30. These are cockpit displays.
1: You know, I think this is a good move for UAVionics, Ian, because as we gear up for ADSB, and that mandate is coming in January 2020, you know... I think the audience is going to be tapped out at a certain point. So this kind of widens the scope for this company. And those little multifunction displays and primary flight displays, they're also low cost. So this fits right into Uavionics's mold.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the AV20 was already certified under that NORSEE policy. That's the you know non-certified, minor change equipment stuff. That was a backup instrument. So that was approved in March. This AV30, this thing is really cool. It's the size of kind of a standard, you know, attitude indicator. And in that standard attitude indicator, man, they jam in. It's incredible. It's like AOA. You've got airspeed. You've got altitude. I think you've got vertical speed. You know, the attitude. It's it's pretty amazing. This thing, by the way, the so you can buy it experimental now, or they're going to certify it. Uh, two grand.
1: I think that price point is pretty sweet, Ian. You know, yes, it's still a couple of grand. And you know the Dave T saying is, if it costs me two grand retail to buy it, I'm gonna count on it being another two grand to put it in, but uh, but even still, I think that and, and really, it probably would be a lot less than that because these are uh, I think these instruments are a lot easier to install. Yeah, plug and play more so. Right, but that's a pretty good deal, man, and it gives you so much better situational awareness and better ha- a better handle on your aircraft in general.
0: Yeah. So one thing you know, Uavionics has sort of quietly built up a really big installer network through this. A lot of them being just A&Ps, you know, which is smart because these are minor installs. So, you know, 700 installation centers across the country. So what this is going to do is bring these new instruments right into that installer network to bring this nice base of support everywhere across the country right away.
1: I think that's great. It's good news for aviation and maybe leading back to that null report, Ian. Let's see what happens in a couple of years from now if uh, that report goes down a little bit more because of this kind of
0: advanced technology. Yep, yep. Uh, hey, want to go way back to the past now. Uh, the B 17, sad news. We talked about this last time, and I'm sure you've read about it. The crash that happened in Hartford, Connecticut, yeah. Bradley, yeah, thank you. And Bradley in Connecticut on October 2nd. The prelim for that just came out from the NTSB, and there's some really interesting stuff in that that I think um, we're going to find out a lot more going forward about this accident.
1: So, Ian, as you mentioned, the preliminary report indicates that number three and number four engine both had some issues. And so the airplane was returning to the airport at about 500 feet above the ground. So, Ian, my question to you as a flight instructor is you're 500 feet above the ground. You've got two engines on a four-engine airplane, and and they're all on one side. Can you even expect to bring that aircraft back to the airport?
0: Uh, You know what? It's a great question. I mean, I can only speak to two engines, you know, training on two engines. We did you know, sort of simulated takeoff failures pretty low to the ground. And it's like, man, those things, the marginal performance, you're limping back around. You know, I know that the the conventional wisdom is land straight ahead, but, you know, I got to think, I, I, it was funny because I was looking up the performance of the B-17. I was curious, what is the engine out performance on this thing? obviously, you know, they, they had a lot of passengers, but they're not carrying a full load of fuel and they're not carrying bombs and everything else. And so you would think it would be able to carry it. It's funny, the the manual for this thing, Jason Blair, you know, he's got it on his website. And, you know, these things are, are just a fraction of what they are today. You know, so it says engine out. It's like, well, you might not even notice it. And there might be a little swing, but just keep flying.
1: Yeah. The pilot operating handbooks from the 40s are are, a, are kind of a joke, really. Yeah. My air Coupe one was about eight pages long.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's almost more of a sales brochure. So, yeah, they, um, I, I don't know what the performance is of the B 17 on two engines. I would think it could still make it around, but you're right. They never really gained a lot of altitude. 500 feet clearly struggled all the way around. They landed short, hit the approach lights, and that's what sort of careened them then into the fuel tanks, which caused the fire and unfortunately, probably most of the loss of life. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see. Now they did. There was some speculation very early on about fuel contamination,
1: right? But that was dispelled with this uh, with this preliminary report, so that's kind of out of the picture.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I don't know. It's uh, man, it, it is sad, but I, I do think we'll learn probably what happened, but it's going to be a little while.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, bringing some. Uh, some practical experience to the table, and that we do know that Ernest Mac McCauley was one of the if not the most experienced B17 pilot in the world, probably one of them and uh, and so I'm, I'm assuming he did everything he could to bring that airplane back
0: around. Yeah, yeah, that's right and um, it's a very tough situation. so I, I obviously wish all the all the survivors and, and their families and um, and those whose families are you know uh, from lost loved ones uh, the best. And uh, I think a lot more work for the NTSB to do here and, and, you know, potentially the FA in the future. So, hey, happier news. Tell us where you are.
1: Much happier news. I'm at Redbird Migration. I'm here in Denver, Colorado at Centennial Airport. And podcast listeners might recognize I'm actually holding a microphone in my hand. So if you hear a little rumble, that's just me. And we're having a quick lunch break right now, Ian. But it was a real fascinating event so far. You've been to a few of these and um, just to, to let our listeners know, we opened up with a little update from Boeing, William Pofo. He's been on the podcast before, and he does the jobs forecast. And um, and he said things are still looking good. It's a real strong forecast. And Boeing, you know, don't forget, Ian. Boeing acquired other businesses, but in 2019 they acquired ForeFlight. And ForeFlight, as we mentioned even on this podcast, is bringing a lot more relevance to the GA world. And now Boeing is really taking a deep dive into uh, GA safety and moving initiatives they had to boost the number of GA pilots. So it was that part was refreshing to hear that from William. We followed with something that was pretty cool. It was called the Rumble in the Rockies. I don't know if you're uh, old enough to remember. I'm putting you on the spot. But you remember Ali versus Foreman? Any of these big boxing (laughs) matches?
0: Well, I can't... uh I can't profess to be alive when uh, when only, I wasn't. You know, I don't think I was either. <laughs> the thriller in Manila, but sh- certainly heard about it.
1: Right, I remember the titles. So, um, but uh, this event here in the Rockies, the Rumble in the Rockies, that featured our own uh, Dave Hirschman, AOPA pilot editor at large. And Paul Bertarelli, everyone uh, probably knows him from Av, Web, and Consumer News, the editor-at-large and the executive uh, editor for Belvoir. So they took a couple of different topics and really took a dive into each of them and tried to explain, you know, one point versus the other point. And we talked a little about the 1500-hour rule. Does that help or hurt pilots, folks who are starting out in the aviation industry to be career pilots? How could we improve uh, flight training over the next couple of years? And, and just what you and I talked about, Ian, also technology, is that helping or hurting? That kind of thing. So you kind of had to be here. You, could, you can catch some of this stuff online at Redbird because they're archiving it. But that was real interesting so far. And we're about halfway through the day. Very cool. Now you've participated in this stuff before, yeah, and you you've done one of those migration challenges, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the migration challenge that you did.
0: I've done a few of them. They, you know, Redbird they they do some really fun, uh, unique stuff. You're not going to find anywhere else in aviation at their events. They're they're sort of part team building, part friendly competition, part networking. You know. And the idea is to do a little competition, and the first one was a video competition. They had to make a commercial, I think it was, for flight school and include some kind of silly things. And uh, whenever when you start out, everybody kind of groans. And they're like, "Oh, you're not really going to make me do this, you know?" And I'm here for a conference and to learn. And by the end of it, man, there's like cheering sections and people are getting pumped up. And so they're they're a lot of fun. They've done uh, sim, you know, competitions. They've done paper airplanes. So yeah, it's fun.
1: Yeah, to Today's competition is called From the Earth to the Moon and it opened with a video from John Kennedy who challenged us to go to the moon but we're not going to the moon the, the you know the orbiting moon Obama. we're going from from Earth Texas to Moon Pennsylvania so <laughs> uh, but but uh, there are some very specific parameters that folks have to do to get there Ian and the whole challenge is how to get there how to get there first and really uh, it challenges the groups on this mission to kind of, like you said, work together as a team and make it so that we can get our team from one side of the country to the other uh, and get there first before the rest of the group.
0: Sweet. That sounds, that sounds great. That sounds great. And now the the sort of the blockbuster of the event is the AOPA Flight Training Experience Awards, right?
1: The ALPA Flight Training Experience Awards will be handed out uh, tonight as we speak for our podcast, but we're going to let our listeners know, since this will be published a couple of days later, we're going to let our listeners know about the top flight school in the country and the top CFI in the country, Ian.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about flight schools. You know, there are regional winners. Uh, The eastern region, that's the Aero Venture Flight School in Mansfield, Massachusetts, In the southern region, it's King Sky Flight Academy at Lakeland. Everybody knows Lakeland. In the Great Lakes region, it's Spencer Aviation at the Delaware Municipal Airport in Ohio. In the central southwest, it's Nationwide Aviation in Parker County, Texas. In the northwest mountain, it's SkyTrek Alaska Flight Training. That's at Merrill Field in Anchorage. That's uh, Jamie Sims. We we know her. Western Pacific region, that's Sierra Charlie Aviation in Scottsdale. They're also a past winner. And then we award an overall winner, and that is actually for the second time, Aeroventure out of Massachusetts. That's right.
1: It's a family-owned fly school, Ian, and they—they're. I think you met them, and their whole their whole deal is that uh, that they want to make everyone feel like they're in a family environment, but it's a structured environment. He said that's the key. Balancing those two things carefully makes a very positive environment for their flight students. And that was really good to hear from George. I, I walked in behind him and uh, and just chatted him up and got a little bit of information. So I thought that was kind of neat.
0: Very good, very good.
1: So let's move on to the best CFI winners, Ian. I'll, I'll read those off for our listeners. In the Eastern region, that's Jim Stover of Shannon Airport in Virginia, not too far away from AOPA headquarters. And in the Southern is Christopher Kresge at Wayne Executive Airport in North Carolina. In Great Lakes, it's Mike Bawinga from Lake in the Hills Airport in Illinois, and he was last year's big winner. Central Southwest is Howard Davenport of David Wayne Hooks Memorial Airport in Texas. In the Northwest Mountain region, it's David Novotny of the City of Colorado Springs Municipal Airport in Colorado, not too far from here. And the Western Pacific, it's Kinsey Moss of Phoenix Mesa Gateway Airport in Arizona. And drumroll please, the best CFI winner, nationally is Chris Kresge from North Carolina, and he operates out of Goldsboro, North Carolina, and it's MIL-2ATP. That's what he uh, calls his uh, particular flight school, and he specializes in, in getting military pilots transitioned to the
0: GA world. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really, really cool. I want to stress, you know, seeing some of these repeat names on here that we know that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. I mean, we've we've judged this in the past and you look through and you can see year to year when there is a winner, there's an influx of business to the school because obviously the school gets promoted heavily and uh, people know it's a good school and they're looking for a good flight training experience. And that influx of people, that is really tough to handle sometimes for these small family-owned businesses. And so for folks to come on this list year after year is just amazing to to have that kind of high level of training over and over and over again is just a a real testament. So I love to see those repeat winners.
1: Actually, Ian, you brought up a really interesting point. I, I spoke with Mike Bowenga here at the Redbird Migration today, and I said, how are things going, Mike? And he was like, he like shrugged his arms. He said, man, I'm so busy. I don't know what to do, you know? So it does bring a lot of uh, a lot of scrutiny on those guys and brings in a lot more uh, customers as well. And as you mentioned earlier on in our kudos to folks in that Northwest Mountain region, SkyTrek, Alaska, and Jamie, she is here again also. And it, it is great to see folks from that far away here at this migration, these are, Ian, these are learners that just can't get enough learning. And golly, they spread it on to their students, and you can just see their excitement. And uh, it's just a good crowd.
0: Cool. Very cool. Well, hey, congrats to all the winners. And uh, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's bring on Shinji uh, and hear about kind of his preps for the trip and uh, what he's doing with the foundation.
1: Welcome to the Hangar Talk podcast, Shinji Maeda, and you refer to yourself as the one-eyed pilot. Uh, You and I met a couple years ago in Washington State, and you have quite an interesting story, and you've got some big plans for the future. So, Shinji, commercial pilot, you're a flight instructor at this point, right?
2: Yep, CFI.
1: All right, well, take us through what you overcame to become a pilot, and then we'll get into what your future plans are, which are quite spectacular for those who are listening via uh, Skype.
2: Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Good evening. Good morning. Konnichiwa. I don't know where you guys are right now, but uh, my name is Shinji Maeda, from Washington State. I am one night commercial slash CFI pilot, and uh, as I said. I've been frying with one night because I got the car accident back in nineteen ninety eight when I was a freshman in Japan. I was a university student at that time and I got the car accident. Then I I died once, then I came back to this ward.
1: You died in the hospital and that real I know you make light of that, but it was very serious. You were in the weren't you in the hospital for like three months?
2: I was in the about two months. Okay. About two months.
1: And uh, and to just to refresh to refresh our podcast listeners, you and I met each other at our Bremerton Fly In near Seattle it was a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, in 2016.
1: Yeah, and it was a pleasure to meet you in person. You're very inspirational and just a really you were a really good guest to me. And I actually wrote a nice little story. So if folks want to get a little bit more of your background, they could go to aopa.org and do a little search for Shinji, S-H-I-N-J-I. M-A-E-D-A. Now, Shinji, before we go further, you actually have a foundation that people can look up and find out what you're doing. Give our listeners the information on that real quick before we go further.
2: I am the founder and the president of the uh, non-profit organization 501c3 tax exempt. Uh, that call it's the Aero Japan Project. A-E-R-O Z-Y-P-A-N Z-U project. Uh, and then the I've been giving a motivational speech uh, based on that my car accident and how I overcame the those obstacles, handicap, discriminations, and uh, the career development as uh, the pilot slash CFI slash husband and father and uh, good joker. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. You have a good attitude.
1: So now, <laughs> now folks, uh, on the serious on serious subject, folks. Probably don't know, but you you had that motorcycle accident. You were a, a you're a youngster at that point, and uh, and so part of the um, you told me I think part of the bone collapsed in your skull, and that that cut off one of your optic nerves.
2: Yep, exactly.
1: And you wanted to be a pilot since you were a little bitty kid back. You said on the family farm on a tractor looking up, and it really devastated you. I mean, it really did. You were you really had a hard time with it. You were depressed for a while, and you. But your dad and your mom were a big part of the equation.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah.
1: So you you got some of your early inspiration from your parents.
2: Yep, and in fact, you know Dave, you remember that the interview back in the 2016, there were uh, my parents uh, with me through the uh, the interview. In fact, after their visit and heading back to Japan, I got the letter from my father, how much he proud myself and how he, you know, support, you know, his son. So uh, that was very touchy uh, experience for me and for them. Yes.
1: And, you know, I got to meet your parents and they were so proud of you. And even when I met you, I was very impressed. And I was very taken aback by your sincerity and also your parents, because they really pushed you and they pushed you hard and I know back then, when you were thinking about flying and, and pursuing aviation, you didn't think you could do it. You really didn't think you, could, you had it in you after the accident.
2: Exactly. No, not at all. In fact, it's going to be that the kind of two phase. First phase was either I'm going to die or, uh, you know, survive. That was the, the you know phase one. And the most of people told me that your sign is going to be, you know, He's going to be dies very soon, uh, within within forty eight hours. Uh, if he survived, if he got lucky, he will be uh, vegetable forever. So, oh my goodness! Yeah, he's not going to talk to you guys anymore. So that's why my family, my parents, my brothers and sisters, uncle, aunts, you know, all friends are very devastated. But after I recover from the that the accident, somehow. I got you know discrimination uh, from all over the place. Uh, that was back in 1998. So people can easily give me the very negative word uh, without thinking anything. Of course, we didn't have any social media at that time. Therefore, right, that was very tough uh, position. So I, I didn't expect the uh, I'm going to be the uh, pilot until I met the uh, Doctor Wishmeyer at. Uh, Embry Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona.
1: So you were going to school at Prescott, uh, Arizona, at Embry Riddle, and Dr. Ed Wishmeyer, he was one of your instructors and turned out to be a mentor and basically a life-changing mentor for you. And you told me this story. I think it's so cool. Let me just uh, let our listeners let them know that Wishmeyer took it as a challenge. He saw you in class and you were studying aviation safety, which is still, it's great. I mean, engineering safety, that kind of thing. Yeah. But you really, your heart was, your heart was into aviation. You wanted to be a pilot. Yep. And he surprised you one day. What did he do?
2: <laughs> so after the class, he said, Hey Shinji, why don't we go out? Let's go date. And I said, what? Going date with me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and,
2: and he said, why not? You know, let's go and I said okay then I jump in on his car and I asked him where we're we heading and he told me that well we are heading to the airport to see my airplane so I said okay I like airplane so let's let's go over there and uh, we went to Prescott airport and uh, I thought we we go to uh, you know terminal to see the airplane but he took me to his hunger huh. And- and he opens up his hunger, and he asked me to to push the Cessna, and uh, he asked me to jump on the left seat, which is captain seat, and I thought, you know, we're going to see the airplane, but he he started the engine, and he started taxiing, eventually he talked to the tower, and guess what, we are in the air. And I was like, what?
1: (laughs) That was fantastic. (laughs) We
2: are flying, and guess what, not only flying, I had a control at that time, so I was flying with my hands, and uh, Ed was, you know, smiling, laughing by me, and that was just just amazing experience. Yeah,
1: he knew you could do it. <laughs> he knew that you had to get your head back in the game.
2: Like a lot of yep.
1: our listeners, or you know, people are trying to decide what they can do for their future, and there are great careers in aviation. And we all have challenges. Exactly. In your case, it was an extreme challenge, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and you overcame that. That's very inspirational. And I know that he turned out to be a mentor for you. Yep. And help, helped coach you along. Now, you did not stop with that with that one flight. That was just the, that was the starting point. That was not the ending point, right?
2: No, 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 no. So after the discovery fight with Ed, uh, before I heading to doctor's office, he emphasized that Shinji... Having light information is very important for your life because you still can fly. Guess what? You remember that, right? You flew with your hand. So you just go to the, the medical office and talk to them. Guess what? you get the uh, medical certificate. And next day, I went to uh, you know one of the doctor's office, and it, yeah, it was right. He gave me the uh, third class. In fact, he told me that if you need a second class or a first class higher, let me know. And coming back, I can give it to you. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on here?
1: <laughs> so, you, so really, it jump-started your, your flying career again. Yeah. You know, it, it rekindled that love that you had when you were a little kid, when you were a child. Yep. So explain to our listeners that might not have had to deal with something like that. It was a FAA medical statement of demonstrated ability, correct?
2: Yep, exactly.
1: So that opened the door for you to return to the skies, and that really got, got you going, and you became a private pilot first, of course. Yep. And you went on to get your instrument ticket as well? Yep, yep. And when you and I were chatting, it was right before you— I think you had either just become a commercial pilot or getting ready to be, and you wanted to be a flight instructor.
2: Yeah. So back then, uh, 2005, I actually, I stopped to flying because you know, remember uh, back in 2000, I think that was 2000. We had the uh, September 11th um, that uh, situation. Oh yeah. It was very difficult to get the uh, the working visa for the foreigners. Okay. So therefore. I was not able to become the commercial pilot or I was not able to pursue my airline career at that time. Therefore, I kind of switched to the uh, the career to a making aircraft career.
1: Right, right. And so you were pursuing your engineering profession all the while in the back of your mind thinking that you really wanted to be, you know, a certified flight instructor. Commercial pilot ATP, however far you can go.
2: Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: gotcha. Now, did you recently get your instructor certificate?
2: Yes. So I had the uh, long, the project to make the uh, one of the advanced commercial jet uh, in Washington states. I dedicated myself for ten years. So believe or not, for ten years. Actually, I didn't. I didn't fly at all. Okay. And uh, when I checked in my logbook, I had uh, only 10 hours for the past 10 years. But back then, I, after I finished up my project, I, I thought, hey, Shinji, yeah, making aircraft is, is fun, but uh, don't you want to go back to the, in the sky? I asked the question to myself. And uh, I said, yeah, you're right, Shinji. Let's go back. Then I went back to uh, flight review, and I really had a great time. And I decided to become the commercial pilot. Then I decided to be a CFI. Then the two years ago, I got the commercial and the CFI. And since then, I've been working at the manufacturing company in the daytime. Afternoon, I go to a snow homage flying service as a CFI, and uh, you know, flying and teaching with my students.
1: And when I met you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. When I met you, you had a fiance.
2: Yes, yes.
1: And so, whatever happened with that?
2: <laughs> Shin and I met in Japan because the, we um, made a wing, a composite wing in Japan together.
1: Oh, she's an engineer as well.
2: Yeah. So the I I met her in Japan. Then the actually don't don't tell anyone, but uh, I proposed her. Underneath of the wing in the factory,
1: the one that you guys made. Yeah, <laughs> that's so sentimental, Sinji. <laughs> I like it. Now, now, what's now, now? What what's your wife's name? Makiko. And so she said yes, right?
2: Yeah, and she said yeah, of course. And uh, guess what? We didn't stop because we we got the son, and we named named him uh, Tsubasa, uh In Japanese, uh, but uh, the the meaning is the wing, in English. Oh,
1: how cool is that?
2: Yeah, wing and uh, good wind. That's that's his meaning. So
1: so yeah. he's got uh, he's he's a wing and with good wind. Yeah. So hopefully he'll always have the wind uh, behind him. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly. m- not much yep. headwinds, a lot of tailwinds. So you did, So you are following through on your dreams that you told me about when we met in Bremerton, which is you wanted to have a family and one day teach one of your children to fly. And I know that your son accompanies you to the airport now.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: And as a toddler. And so, and so let's bring people up to the present connection now. And you actually have even further dreams that are very, very, very far afield from Seattle, Washington. Tell us about what you want to do.
2: So uh, next year I will fry the wool by myself with my Bonanza P-35, and uh, we're going to give the uh, uh, motivational speech at each destination. That's what we're going to do. That's my commitment.
1: So you have a Bonanza V-tail. What year is your V-tail Bonanza?
2: That is 1963,
1: P-35. And does that have any significance to you? That's not when you were born, was it? <laughs> no. No, you're younger than that. Your <laughs> airplane is older than you are.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> I guess that's common. So you got a V-tail Bonanza, P P-35, and you're going to do a trans-global flight. You're going to fly around the world, and you are going to give motivational speeches at the stops that you make, correct?
2: Yes, that's the that's the current plan. We've been coordinating with a bunch of uh, organization people, yes.
1: And I talked to one of your mentors over here on the East Coast, and I talked with Adrian Icorn. I had lunch with him. Here we go,
2: Adrian!
1: Adrian, who is a he's a master mechanic. He won the FAA National Aviation Maintenance Technician of the Year Award in 2016. He also flew around the world in a Bonanza. Now, his was also a V-tail. Yes. So, he has some good information for you. And he told me, he said, don't tell anybody, but Shinji's the real deal. <laughs> what do you think about that?
2: Yes. Uh, actually... After he finished up his Aslandar, I saw his uh, article, and uh, I felt that, no offense to Adrian, I thought he is crazy guy. (laughs) Because I had, uh, you know, I have uh, exactly the same model. Uh, Actually, his airplane is one year older than mine, but uh, it opens up the whole Pandora. Then I sent out the email to him, and uh, I introduced myself. In fact, thank you, Dave, because the I was able to use the AOPA interview to him, explain who I am. And he sent me back the email. And he said, well, guess what? I'm JetBlue pilot, and eventually I will go to the Seattle. So let's meet and talk. And guess what? Dream came true back in uh, last December. Uh, one day he called me. Hey Shinji, it's Adrian. <laughs> and I was like what Adrian? What are you what? Then next day we met and we talked about the, how we how we can do this and since then actually we had uh, three separate meetings with him face to face in Washington State.
1: So he's gonna help coach you to through some of the real technical aspects of flying around the world. And I'm just going to throw a couple of questions out at you. And if you can answer them fine, if you're still trying to get the flight planning, that's okay, too. But what do you estimate your miles traveled will be? How long will this journey be?
2: <laughs> Sorry, I, I I forgot the total my, from my top of the head. But my plan is now three months to fly the world because I am planning to stop by the 14 countries and get I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to give the uh, speech. So, uh, yeah, that's why I, I kind of calculate the three months and to take the uh, off. Then the I'm going to fly over. Yeah.
1: All right. So so I pulled, his, uh, I pulled a story that Tom Haynes wrote about Adrian's around the world or flight back when he did that. He flew 23,000 miles, nautical miles. And I'm guessing yours is going to be pretty close to that, too.
2: Very close. Yes.
1: And so he burned 2,100 gallons of fuel, which could cost anywhere between $4 and and $26 a gallon, depending on where you are, right? So now how are you going to pay for this, by the way?
2: Well, I'm going to ask Dave. date. (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I can I can afford to pay you for a lap around the airport. That's about it. Now, are, 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 now I know your foundation is there to help younger people and for inspiration. Yep. Are you Are you also able to do any fundraising that way, or do you have some other sponsors?
2: Yes. So the uh, we have both. We fundraise with the uh, certain companies. At the same time, we set up the GoFundMe for individual uh, contributions. For sponsors, we like Adrian did. We're going to put it on the, their logo onto the airplanes. Then the uh, for individual contribution, I would make the uh, kind of uh, boarding list, and uh, I'm going to put the individual name onto the, the book. Then I'm going to fry with it. Oh, that's very cool. Yep.
1: And now, are now are are your plans now? Back when Adrian did it, I mean, there was still social media, and because it, it wasn't that long ago. But are you planning on doing social media or having an active website, or can people track you?
2: Yes, uh, we have the active website, which is eldsbangproject.com. and you can Google by the uh, that nonprofit organization through the uh, internet, and you can see the um, Facebook, Instagram. You can see the couple of the video on the YouTube of, as well. Then we are actively updating the, lots of uh, the pictures, uh, videos since we increased the, uh, our volunteers to keep up with it.
1: Okay. So people can find you online or through your website, arrow, arrow z Yep. I'll spell it for people. W W W obviously a E R O Z Y P like Papa. A N G U.com. Yep. And so Shinji, that that name itself has some has some meaning. The Eero Zapanju project it means in Japanese means what?
2: So Aero is Aero. It's obvious. Japanu is the old name of Japan. So the believe it or not, after I became the one night pilot back in uh, two thousand five, since then there's no pilot who has a disability came to the uh, aerospace industry yet. And uh, this trip is going to be very, very unique because I am now a U.S. citizen. Technically, I can fly over the Japan as a one-night commercial professional pilot. So this is going to be really unique flight for me and for them.
1: So it's got special meaning to you. Let me explain to our podcast listeners a little bit behind the scenes what we know what that means. And correct me if I'm wrong. So in Japan, they would not approve you to fly because of your uh, physical challenge. Yep. And they would not approve you to fly, period. Moreover, you could never have become a commercial pilot in Japan. Exactly. So as an American citizen, you are now a commercial pilot. You will be flying over Japan and... You've conquered the skies and the regulations, it sounds like.
2: Yep, exactly. It's the free, free of them uh, fry. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the beauty of the United States. You know how many people complaining about the, uh, our country? Uh, guess what? We have tons of tons of opportunities. So that's why my, my speech is not about me. My speech is all about what you can do in your life. And I'm not pushing the people to become the pilot. I'm telling the people, hey, if you want to be the pilot, why not try it? If you want to be a teacher, why not do it, right? Because people are so kind of frustrated our life uh, nowadays. But guess what? As long as you have your body health, you're good to go.
1: So in other words, follow your dreams. And don't let things stand in your way. If you have an obstacle that stands in your way, and this is your inspiration, Shinji, I think, says, try to overcome that obstacle, figure out a way around it, and do what you want to do. Just go out and do it, right?
2: Here we go. Yep. All
1: right. So uh, we pre- now appreciate your time. You've uh, taken a good amount of time off from your regular workday to chat with us on Hangar Talk via Skype. Tell me if there's anything else we hadn't chatted about right now that you want our listeners to know. Otherwise, we'll wrap it up in a minute and obviously wish you a lot of luck and a lot of success on your trip. But what, if, what have we not uh, touched on that you want people to know about?
2: Yeah, so I would like to emphasize the, uh, the special thank you to uh, all sponsors, especially uh, AV Stars and Maintenance in uh, Europe, uh, Washington states. Mike and Dave are working on my airplane. It's now avionics shop, the Tacoma, Dan and the band uh, working on my airplane. And not only them, uh, lots of the um, a company BCS, for instance, they are going to donate us the uh, seat belt. JPI gave us the, uh, you know, engine instruments, the um, equipment. It's lots of people and lots of people supporting this project and agreed to uh, support this, you know, because for some people, this is really crazy idea, you know, one, one guy, one night pilot with single engine airplane trying to fly the wall. You know, for regular people who have no experience with aviation, tends to think that this is commit suicide mission. But that's why I've been kind of telling the people, well, guess what? Yeah, sounds really crazy but I died once, then I came back to the real world. As long as we have this type of emotion, the passions, enthusiasm, why don't we do this? And they're like, you are right. We will support you. So yeah, that's why I'm so appreciate to whole sponsors. And not only my sponsors, my family, Makiko, and my son's boss, my family and friends, my boss, they're they're, everybody supporting me so i really appreciate
1: that absolutely absolutely now i know that you had uh, a fan club with your parents i think your dad passed away a while back which i'm sorry to hear now your parents had some advice for you i wrote it in my story and you told me this and tell me if it still holds true number one appreciate your parents and number two do whatever you have to do to follow your dreams
2: yep and uh Thank you for the uh, the consideration, my dad. Uh, actually, he before he depart to uh, heaven, he asked me two things. One is do not die while I'm frying, so that other kids can pursue like you did, Shinji. And the second is fly the world and talk to the people what you done, because you know look at me, I am about to you know done for my life, but. As long as you have life, guess what? You can do whatever you want. I
1: love it, Shinji. I wish you a lot of good luck on that flight. And when are you thinking about taking off on that around-the-world flight? And we'll close with that.
2: Yep. Uh, So the airplane is under preparation. We're going to start the uh, test flights probably after the September, October. So I'm thinking that probably May, May 1st, that's the I am aiming to depart.
1: And then they're going to give you some time off from work for you to do that, right?
2: Yeah. Thank you for the. Uh, my boss, the King. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> good deal, Shinji. Good deal. Uh, well, we thank him also for letting you pursue your dreams. And also to, to bring dreams to other young people is so important to follow your dreams, as you said to me in person and again today via Skype. Well, Shinji, we wish you a lot of luck. Thank you for being on the Hangar Talk podcast. And hopefully we'll talk to you real soon.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much, Dave. Appreciate it.
0: all right david i think it's so cool that uh, that you got to meet him and catch up with him it's really you know we've talked about this with the around the world flights it's like i i i can barely you know convince myself to go halfway across the country much less around the world so i uh, hats off to guys who who can do this and have the determination especially facing adversity
1: i think shinji will do this ian and you know like you said there's adversity at every turn but it's opportunity is what you make of it and i think that he's got a heart of gold And he was a great podcast guest. And he, again, is full of excitement, like a lot of the learners at the Redbird Migration. So hats off, like you said, to Shinji Maeda. And I'm sure that he'll represent us well when he goes on that around-the-world
0: flight. All right, cool. Hey, I know you need to get back to it, so I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen.
1: And I'm David Toulouse. Don't forget you can get us at AOPA.org slash Talk. You can also find us at the Sporty's Takeoff app. We're on Spotify, and we're on iTunes, and you can chat us up at the AOPA Hangar.
0: All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian.
1: Hangar Talk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.